You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Chris and Nick Show here on Big Blue View Radio. I am one of the hosts, Nick Filato, joined as always by Chris Flum, and we are here to give our thoughts on the Giants' loss to the Seattle Seahawks up in the Pacific Northwest, while also talking about this trade deadline. It was a very fun trade deadline, Chris, across the league, but the New York Giants remained relatively inactive. They were not buyers. They did sell Kadarius Toney and ended up picking up some draft assets, and it just... It's not surprising to me the Giants weren't buyers. I think they're trusting the process and they're going to continue to build this roster over time for the betterment of what Joe Shane and Brian Dable want, their vision. So I'm not surprised that they didn't go and trade a second round pick for Chase Claypool. Are you? No, not at all, really. But I thought something like what the Jacksonville Jaguars did in trading a late round pick for Calvin Ridley, even though Ridley won't play this season, he, he isn't eligible to be reinstated until uh, after the season is over. Uh, I think perhaps not even until the start of the, the new league year, but what the Jaguars did in using a late round pick to get a, a, a buy low type player who has upside that was the move, if the Giants were to make one, that I would have been looking for. You know, getting a Chase Claypool, a Jerry Judy, an Elijah Moore, somebody like that, that would have been exciting. That would have been splashy. It also would have been expensive. And even though the Giants did acquire a late third-round pick for Kadarius Tony, this roster is more than just a wide receiver away. And... I don't think the Giants absolutely need to add a wide receiver at this point. And I know there's the argument of, you know, how can they possibly evaluate Daniel Jones with this wide receiving core? And, you know, I think that's something we can get into more later, maybe in a in a, a later podcast, because that I think would really get into evaluation and scouting and, you know, turn into a, a pretty deep dive and involved conversation in and of itself. But you know, all things considered, I'm not surprised that the Giants stood pat, that they're conserving their draft assets, their draft capital for 2023. Not con- I'm not surprised by that at all. Either it's, I think, probably the right thing to do. You don't want to just go out and, and give away second round picks. It's going to be high draft assets, cheap contracts that you're going to have on, on the books for four years, you go out and you get that pick for a guy that you're going to have to resign and allocate a lot of money to. That wasn't the thought process of this regime going into the season. And now the Giants sit at six and two heading into the bye week. And it remained the same thought process. We're going to stick to the process we want. How many times can you say process? You're going to stick to the process that we had a vision about. And I respect that 
about Joe Shane, and I do understand where people are coming from. You want to add a wide receiver to help Daniel Jones out on a football team in the NFC that is a lot weaker than you expected. But the Giants, I think you put this well, they have a lot more holes than just the wide receiver position, and you kind of saw glimpses of that against Seattle. Yeah, you did, and I, I think that's a good jumping-off point to talk about Week 8 against the Seattle Seahawks, and... I think we saw some of the things this team does and has done well, but I think we also saw really some of the the cracks and the, the pressure points in this team and some of the things that we, we were kind of able to overlook while they were winning, but are, you know, are some legitimate causes for concern. There are definitely causes for concern, and this Giants passing attack – over the last several weeks when it's been successful, and I say successful kind of lightly, it's because it's not like they're throwing for like 300 yards every game or anything like that, but it's built off the running attack and it's built off the play action bootleg, the play action rollout, get Daniel Jones on the run. He can see backside crossing routes going through zone coverage or winning inside against man coverage. And if he doesn't like what he sees, you pick up some yards with your legs because Daniel Jones is an excellent athlete. Well, Seattle did not allow them to do that whatsoever. I mean, I don't know about you, Chris, but this Seattle defense against the New York Giants seemed like they knew exactly what the Giants were doing. Their run pass keys, they were almost perfect in this game, and their second-level defenders were always in position. It's like they were just reading every time the Giants brought the sniffer to the play side, whenever they attempted to run counter or misdirection, it was sniffed out, and it was read very well. And then when the Giants tried to adjust on that late in the second half, they did that halfback pitch on the second field goal drive where Saquon Barkley started to his right. Daniel Jones pitches it to the right. Saquon Barkley catches it, but the play side was to the left. But what did Seattle do to stop the play action bootleg almost on every single play where it looked like Daniel Jones could roll out? They would take that end man on the line of scrimmage, Bruce Irvin, and they would run him directly at Daniel Jones to stop that. And on that specific play that I'm referring to, the pitch play that was going in one direction, like a counter pitch type play. Bruce Irvin ran right into Daniel Jones and Daniel Jones fell into Saquon Barkley. And it was a loss of eight yards that completely stifled the the drive. And this was something that the Giants struggled with all game. They just couldn't get around the fact that they couldn't run the football and any adjustment they attempted to make Seattle had an answer for it. It was a really, really well-organized and disciplined defense up there in Seattle. Yeah. The discipline was the, that was the thing that really jumped out at me watching the Seattle defense. Yeah. The giants offense really thrives on putting individual defenders in conflict and using a lot of misdirection, a lot of eye candy to force the defense out of position to force the guys to overcommit, over pursue, and then basically just, allow Daniel Jones to read you know, one, maybe two defenders and distribute the ball appropriately. Seattle really didn't take the bait anytime the Giants attempted to do that. And they always kept an eye on the ball. So even when the Giants would have a mesh point or they ran the wildcat or anything like that, it, like you said, it, Seattle knew exactly what was coming. And I think a big part of that is their own offense is very, very similar to what the Giants like to run. I, I saw watching the Seattle offense, a lot of very familiar concepts. It, it obviously wasn't exactly the same, 
but they did have a lot of the play action boot. They had to, the the levels concepts. And granted, throwing to Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, uh, Marquise Goodwin, you know, that that allows them to that allows them to be a little bit more wide open with their offense. But I thought a lot of the same basic principles were very similar to what the Giants do. And then Seattle is also used to playing against Cliff Kingsbury, Kyler Murray, and that Arizona offense, which is, again, heavily RPO-based. So it isn't a, a big surprise that they were able to stay disciplined against what the Giants do. It, it was kind of the complete opposite of what we saw from the Chicago Bears, where the the Seahawks have a pretty veteran defense and they just stayed calm and stuck to their assignments the whole way. And really the giants couldn't get anything done consistently without the chaos on the defensive side of the ball. Some of the adjustments too, that their defense made the giants like to run pin pull concepts where they align the wide receiver and the tight end off the end man on the line of scrimmage. And they block down and they pin the place or they pull the play side tackle around. <laughs> one of the things Tariq Woolen did when David Sills was attempting to pin one of his teammates on this second half pulling run, power gap run, was once he saw David Sills go to block, Tariq Woolen just floored David Sills. And then he peeled back and just got to his spot and took on a lead blocker. And it's just one of those plays where it's like they knew what was coming. And the adjustments that the Giants made, they they still kind of knew how to defend them. It's like they had all the answers to the test. And this isn't necessarily a shot at Mike Kafka because as we'll go over here in a bit, there were shot plays that were available where the Giants clearly beat the Seattle Seahawks deep or in the red zone and the trigger was not pulled. And that's an issue in and of itself. But if I had to take one overarching takeaway from this game, on offense, it's that the Giants really freaking miss Daniel Bellinger from a receiving standpoint, but more importantly, from a blocking standpoint. Because, Chris, the Giants like to use 12, 13 personnel. And Chris Myrick, he's a pretty good blocker, right? But Tanner Hudson is not. And if you're going to be out there in 12 personnel, that means Tanner Hudson's ass has to be out on the football field with no Daniel Bellinger. And he's throwing important blocks as the sniffer or on the play side. And it's just not his thing. He is not designed to throw those types of blocks. He's not good in those situations. And I think that's another huge reason why the Giants couldn't get anything going on the ground was because Daniel Bellinger wasn't throwing blocks and it was Tanner Hudson instead. Yeah, that that I absolutely agree with that. That was something else that stood out to me is that Yes, the Giants' offensive line with the missing two starters, it had its issues. But I saw a lot more issues with the Giants blocking on the perimeter, where blocks that had been there previously against other teams, against other defenses, weren't there. And missing Daniel Bellinger was a big, big part of that. And I think that really did allow the Seahawks to rally to the ball in ways that other defenses this year, except maybe the except maybe the Baltimore Ravens, haven't been able to do. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. 
Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. I'd say the Tennessee Titans, too, up until that second half when they really started getting their rushing attack. Or Carolina Panthers, I'm sorry. The Carolina Panthers were the team that did a really good job against Saquon Barkley and the rushing attack. But this was a... a humbling experience, I think, is the best way to put it because it's, it's a little bit funny, right? Last week against Jacksonville, the defense was horrendous, right? Worst that we've seen in the Wink-Martindale era, the short era of Wink-Martindale. This week, the defense was a little bit better, and the offense left a lot of plays on the field, and the offense couldn't really do anything. If it wasn't for an Adoree Jackson strip of Tyler Lockett on the two-yard line, the Giants probably don't score a touchdown in this game because they just couldn't really move the football. And the times when they figured out how to move the football in the second half, Giants are a second-half team, they ended up bogging down in the red zone. And this Giants offense, Chris, and I'm sure you agree with this, they have to take advantage of every opportunity that is there. There's not a lot of margin for error for this New York Giants offense. They're not creating explosive plays. They have the least amount of explosive plays in the National Football League right now. And most of their explosive plays are Saquon Barkley. So you remove Saquon Barkley, which you can't, but you remove Saquon Barkley, you're not getting really any type of explosiveness from this offense right now. I think it's one of the bigger problems. But when they do get in the red zone, they have to capitalize. And we saw Daniel Jones miss a wide-open Tanner Hudson from the backside on that fake halfback screen to Saquon Barkley with Lawrence Cager coming in motion, running the fade route to the back pylon. I love the play call. The safety takes Cager, but now that safety is not there, you have two backside routes coming with David Sills underneath and high low with Tanner Hudson over the top. And both of the underneath defenders take David Sills. So you have Tanner Hudson who pre-snap had a safety over the top of him outside leverage. He's wide open in the middle of the field and Daniel Jones sees that B gap open and he picks up two yards with his legs. It's just, I get it. I think that Daniel Jones is being told, Hey, if you're not comfortable, take the yards that are there whenever you have an opportunity to do so. But if you're not comfortable making that type of throw to Tanner Hudson in that situation, what exactly are you doing there, man? Yeah, I, I definitely agree. The giants left some, they left a a lot of points on the field. They left a lot of meat on the bone through the air. It, they absolutely do need to capitalize anytime they get to the red zone. Now, yes, they are basically guaranteed points anytime they get to the 40-yard line, uh, certainly the 35-yard line with Graham Gano. But uh, this isn't a team that can subsist on field goals really no NFL offense can just subsist on field goals especially when you're going against a team that's playing as well as the Seattle Seahawks are and even that team they left points on the board Marquise Goodwin probably should have had that touchdown where he was 
running across the end zone, got tackled by Adore Jackson, but he still had the ball in his ball in his hands. And you're a professional receiver. You're expected to make that catch. And then there was also the Tyler Lockett drop yeah, on what would have been a surefire touchdown. So the Giants need touchdowns whenever they can get them. And rewatching the All-22, I saw, in addition to the Tanner Hudson, probably should have been touchdown that turned into a, a run that you were talking about, another five plays down the field where Daniel Jones, I, he, he just seemed to pass them up to go for the short gain instead. Now, I don't know what the play design was. I don't know what the how the plays were installed coached what the reprogression was which players were running clear outs to open up the underneath area of the field which players were in the progression you know I, I don't know that we can't know that however I did see on, on five different plays Darius Slayton twice and Wandale Robinson three times just running pretty much open down the field and I think at least two of them maybe three of them once Definitely once with Slayton on a double move that was basically the mirror of the Lockett double move that he or the double move that Lockett put on Dory Jackson with the corner post and then or, sorry post corner and then another one with Wandale Robinson just running wide open on I, I believe it was a go route and both times actually all five times Jones went for the underneath throw I think. The uh, I think it was one of the ones to Wandale was the uh, that check down to Tanner Hudson where yes he picked up a first down but that drive ultimately wound up being I believe a field goal and it could have been a touchdown and yeah those are plays you really need Daniel Jones to make if you have the opportunity for points you need to take those points. The double move to Slayton was the check down to Chris Myrick where Chris uh. Myrick broke a tackle. But that's the play where you can even see that's the one play that I that I put up on Twitter and and I, I think it's somewhat of an indictment on Daniel Jones. Now you might want to take what is there, but you're you're down seven points. You're at around midfield, so maybe you take what's there, get in a field goal range. Okay, whatever. But that play is designed to take advantage of Tariq Wollen there or whichever player the middle of the field safety commits to so the middle of the field safety goes to marcus johnson's side who ran the same route as darius slayton darius slayton does a great job angling his stem inside before breaking out which gets he basically eats right into the leverage of Tariq wallen breaks out Tariq wallen has to flip his hips and he goes right up He has about six yards of separation or so on that play and daniel jones's eyes are right in that direction he knows the safety isn't there but he just decides to take the check down good on chris myrick to pick up 10 yards on the third nine but got to generate explosive plays and you had your guy wide open there like it's hard to make excuses for for a play like that and then there was another one the 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 two that i don't really hold against him and i know which plays you're talking about was the one where where the safety squat on darius slayton it was a dagger concept and the safety stayed put on the dig from marcus johnson you had the nine route from the number two spot from Darius Slayton who ran right past the squatting safety, but there was a safety there and Jones might not have realized that he was squatting. You can make excuses for that. The Wandell Robinson one was a deep streak where the Mike had to carry Wandell Robinson up in a split safety look. But by the time Wandell Robinson passed the, the Mike, Daniel Jones was already throwing the football underneath. So you can make the excuse like, okay, yeah, he already committed to pick up the yards that were there. 
but you see both those safeties parting ways. You know you have an isolation of Wando Robinson against the Mike. I can see the argument as to why you're not going to hold that against Daniel Jones because he committed. But the double move and then the Tanner Hudson player, the two that really kind of stick out to me and be like, oh, man, like you got to make those plays in this type of environment in that game. And then Daniel Jones just uh, he just didn't. And you can see the result. The Giants offense was stagnant. A lot of people point towards the lack of separation. There's some validity to that. But when there are plays to be made on the field in this specific game, Daniel Jones did not make them. He's made them in the past, past four games. He played really well and he took advantage of a lot of opportunities. But he has to basically do that every week in order for this explosive passing attack to be unlocked. And we see what happens when he doesn't. Yes. And yeah, I would love to know how the offense, the the passing offense in particular, is being coached yeah is jones being coached basically to not hurt the the giants or is that just the quarterback he is where he's going to take the he's going to take what the defense gives him instead of holding on to the ball for that extra second or seeing hey i've got wandell robinson even with a with a mike linebacker i'm just i'm giving the wide receiver a chance to make the play yeah i i don't know what is Jones? What is the Giants? Because the Giants also do have to know they can't overcome turnovers. Yeah, if they're losing the turnover battle, odds are they're not going to be able to overcome that. And that's something we saw in this game where they can't beat themselves and the other team at the same time. They just don't have the horsepower for that. So I, I could see if the Giants coaching staff, who you know, we both love, is coaching Jones to basically not lose the game and leave losing the game to the other team. But yeah, it, it's it's tough to see the Giants have the opportunity for explosive plays available on you know, down the field and then them just not not taking advantage of those opportunities because you don't get those opportunities all that often. But, no, you don't. And yeah. it's oh, difficult. Yeah. It's difficult for the giants to overcome the special team errors, obviously. Right. Like Richie James fumbling the football twice and we'll, we'll get into the defense. Do you have anything else on the offense? Cause I kind of cut you off there. No, you know, I, th- I think we're at a pretty good point where we can jump into the defensive side of the ball. You know, it, I, I just want to say that it was a lot more complicated than just the Giants don't have good wide receivers, which, yes, their wide receiving core is certainly lacking compared to a lot of other teams in the NFL. But I don't think the receivers were really a problem in this game. I don't think it was the receiver's fault that the Giants lost. Now, I'm not sure that they really would have been a difference maker in this game, like in the way that having a Jamar chase or a Tyree killer, you know, a player of that caliber would have been, but I I certainly don't pin the loss on Darius Slayton and David Sills and Marcus Johnson and those guys out there, not having Bellinger certainly hurt, but yeah, there were, there was a lot more going on, especially on the replay, slowing things down, taking a look at angles that they don't show you on TV. And 
it's it's really tough to blame the wide receivers, which kind of circles back to Joe Shane staying put at the at the trade deadline. Yeah, I, I think the Giants can get away with the receivers they have on the roster right now. And just to touch on other offensive observations, the pass protection wasn't that bad. And I know it it sounds a little weird because Seattle ended up with sacking Daniel Jones several times. A lot of those happened on in garbage time at the end of the game, but there were plenty of clean pockets to throw from. I think Tyree Phillips probably played the worst of all the offensive linemen, but pass protection relatively, it, it wasn't all that bad in this game because that's another issue that I feel like the Giants struggle with on the offensive side of the football. But man, if, do you have anything on that, by the way? No, I, I actually agree. I, I thought the pass protection, considering the Giants gave up five sacks, the pass protection wasn't terrible. You know, two of those sacks were on the last two plays of the game. So it, Seattle knew exactly what was coming. You know, they knew Daniel Jones had to throw the ball. And, you know, they were able to get pressure. They were able to time the snaps. And I do believe the crowd noise was a factor in helping the Seahawks time their pass rush because you saw Joshua Zudu signal to the center, you know, basically when it was time to snap the ball. So that was a clear visual cue for the Seahawks that, yes, the snap was indeed coming. Exactly. Now, to the defense, though. Played pretty well, relatively speaking. I mean, the the turning point of the games were those two Richie James fumbles, and, and they both came at very terrible times like the first fumble came after the Giants had a lot of momentum because Adoree Jackson stripped Tyler Lockett Saquon Barkley scores a touchdown and then on the next drive for the Seattle Seahawks the Giants sack Geno Smith twice with Leonard Williams and Xavier McKinney force a punt Richie James gives the football right back to Seattle Giants defense right back on the football field but the Giants defense still was able to keep the Giants in this game and then they're able to force another punt in a one-score game in the fourth quarter following the recipe for what the New York Giants have done this entire season and basically every single game they've been in. And Richie James gives the football right back to him. Kenneth Walker scores that touchdown, and everybody's kind of flipping out at the Giants' defense for letting Kenneth Walker score the touchdown. Like I don't look at that Kenneth Walker touchdown and say, oh, wow, the Giants' defense sucks. I look at last week against Jacksonville, and I said, oh, wow, the Giants' defense sucks. Luckily, the vision of the ball carriers from the Jacksonville Jags isn't that great either because they left so many plays on the field in that game. But the Giants defense was really tired. Their offense didn't do anything basically the entire game. So I was uh, pleased with the defensive performance. I saw a little bit more pressure than we did against Jacksonville, a little bit more exotic looks against Geno Smith. But I feel like Shane Waldron, Geno Smith, and, and that entire offense did a pretty good job despite the fact that the Giants defense played a lot better than they did in the previous week. Yeah, I think the, the general feeling I had by the end of the game was that the Giants defense played about as well as you could expect them to given the circumstances. Having to defend those short fields because of fumble, you know, muffed fumbled punts. I mean that there's a reason why that was maybe the one thing that got Tom Coughlin the angriest out there is when you had a turnover on special teams. Those are absolutely killer. And the first time it was really a great defensive stand by the giants to hold Seattle to just a field goal to keep them from punching that in and getting the, that uh, another touchdown out of it. 
And as for the pressure, yes, I, I definitely agree. The Giants got some decent pressure out there, especially considering how many snaps Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams had to play by the end of the game because yeah, Nick Williams got injured, ruled out with a biceps injury. So after that, the Giants had just three healthy down defensive linemen. Although at one point, I I can't remember if it was on the Seahawks' first or second drive. I believe it was a third down. They actually lined Jihad Ward up as their as the nose tackle and had Leonard Williams out at a Look, it might have been a seven technique. It might have even been a wide nine technique. And like you talk about exotic alignments, you know, what exactly can an offense expect to come out of outside linebacker Jihad Ward playing nose tackle? He's 290 pounds. So in passing situations, it makes sense. There was another play with Jihad Ward and Leonard Williams, they were both aligned as two eye techniques on the inside shoulder of the offensive guard. And then right off the ass to the right of the center was Dexter Lawrence in a two-point stance about a yard off the line of scrimmage, right off the ass of Jihad Ward. Then the Giants took Jihad Ward and Leonard Williams and just slanted them both to the right. Dexter Lawrence looped around to the left and the Giants get pressure that way. Leonard Williams did a really good job defeating his block on the loop or on the, as the penetrator. But it's just so funny that you see a 350-pound player in a two-point stance acting as the looper, and you actually have a lot of confidence in the fact that it's going to work. just speaks to the uniqueness of a player like Dexter Lawrence. Yes, and I, towards the end of the first half, you could see those, those exotic pressures, those weird alignments the unique alignments have their effect on the Seahawks offense where you saw, you know, the Leonard Williams sack that came because Noah Fant had no idea where he was on the football field. And basically Geno Smith was forced right into him before getting sacked by Leonard Williams. And then I believe it was the Xavier McKinney sack, the running back Homer, he completely whiffed on his, pass protection assignments he had no clue the sack with the blitz was coming he goes to the other side of the offensive personnel and he's just looking around looking for work as mckinney runs right past him so really credit to wink martindale for trying i think in taking advantage of a young seattle offensive line you know two rookie tackles Pretty soon into the game, they're, they're playing their backup center, and Martindale wasted no time trying to take advantage of those matchups. And I got to say, both those rookie tackles, look, they look like studs. But Charles Cross lost to Micah McFadden. Micah McFadden got his first sack. That was one loss that Charles Cross had that rhymed right there. But anything else on this game, Chris? Again, the offense needs work. Defense looked better, but just couldn't do enough. And the Seattle Seahawks escaped the six and one at the time, New York Giants with a 27 to 13 victory. Yeah, the, the defense, I'm not sure there's a whole lot to talk about. They played better than the final score would indicate. Yeah, I, I do believe the Seahawks, they left some points on the board. I think if Goodwin and Tyler Lockett did their jobs, this game could have been even uglier. But I also do want to credit the Giants defense for largely holding Kenneth Walker in check. He is a 
dangerous, dangerous running back. I've got a lot of respect for him. Now that one touchdown run he had, he looked just like Saquon Barkley on Barkley's best day, where he's making two, three guys miss, reversing field, out-athleting some pretty darn good athletes, you know, showing solid vision, good contact balance. And, you know, that's just the kind of individual effort that Giants fans are used to seeing from Saquon Barkley, but not from running backs on the opposing team. Yeah, Kenneth Walker's a stud. Credits in the New York Giants. I mean, I feel like the Giants run defense. They really struggle with their run fits when it's a power gap team. This was a much more zone-based team. The Giants do a typically a better job. And they also switched assignments, whereas Tay Crowder was more of the will and Jalen Smith was more of the mic in this game. I thought that was a little interesting wrinkle. I'm telling you, though, out of the bye week, if Micah McFadden can, can get situated with his alignment pre-snap and really learn what to do in coverage, I think his role could really be expanded right now because the, the talent ahead of him is not that great. If Darian Beavers never tore his ACL, he'd be starting right now. I have no doubt in my mind. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think we'll continue to see Jalen Smith play more of the Mike and Crowder and or Micah McFadden play more of the Will. I think that fits their individual skill sets a bit better. And especially since you've got Xavier McKinney calling the defense, so you don't really have to rely on any one linebacker to always be on the field. Exactly. Well, Chris, hopefully the Giants have some better luck and they win the football game coming out of the bye week against the Houston Texans. They have two straight home games against the Texans and the Lions. But until then, rest up and get healthy because the Giants are on their bye week. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to the Chris and Nick show here on Big Blue View Radio. Please like and subscribe and leave a comment to the podcast that helps us out and head on over to BigBlueView.com where we have all of our written content. Thank you, everybody, and have a lovely day. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Claude 3 from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point of the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skill and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest-cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit Anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic.